0: Um, I'm really excited about today. Um, when, you're starting, when you're putting a message together, you're trying to ask God, God, what do you want me to say? Um, and today, I came here this morning thinking, I'm not too sure if what I've got for you today is right, is it not? I was trying to grapple with that. I woke up this morning thinking, is this the right thing? And I got here today and Simon put that little, little video up about faith. And I thought, oh, and I thought, fantastic. Because that's exactly what I'm here to preach on today. So I really feel that God has a message here for us. I'm really excited. So we're going to see how it goes. So today is Palm Sunday. don't know if many, it's one of those days that sort of gets left behind a little bit. You know, you've got Easter and you've got Good Friday. But today's Palm Sunday. So over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ rode into, am I sounding okay? Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to the sound of applause, to the sound of praise, to the sound of people singing and just lifting up his name. But he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey for the main purpose to die. He rode into Jerusalem so he could be crucified, so that once he had died he could raise again, and so that he could defeat, defeat sin, defeat death, and therefore we could have a relationship with him. So the purpose of him riding into Jerusalem was so that we could come to know who he was. And today we're going to have a look at Palm Sunday. We're going to have a look at a passage which is found in Luke chapter 19. But actually Palm Sunday can be found in all four of the Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and I'm going to be drawing on some of the other accounts so we get a really well-rounded picture of this moment in Jesus' ministry. So I'm going to pray first of all and then we're going to delve into the passage. Yeah Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that you're here with us and I thank you for the power of your word, Lord. And I just pray that you'll be with us this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you'll help me. Lord, I pray you'll help me show how amazing you are through the scriptures, Lord. And I pray that you will increase our faith levels today. So that actually we will leave today knowing more of you and having caught a fresh glimpse of how amazing you truly are. In your name, amen. 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 So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 19, we're going to start on verse 28. As I say, this is called the triumphal entry. Um, it's, it's, the, it's Palm Sunday it's found in all four Gospels. But Luke chapter 19, verse 28, it says, And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is an amazing moment in Jesus' life. A huge moment. As I said, it comes right towards the end of his ministry. In one week's time, he's going to die. Most people don't know this at this point. We know in hindsight. In one week's time, he's going to die. So he's coming into Jerusalem at this amazing moment. They reckon that Jesus is about 33 at this age, at this point of his life. So Jesus was born as a man, the Son of God became man, we call it the Incarnation, born to nobody parents, in a nobody situation, in a nobody place. He was brought up as a carpenter's son, so he learned the trade from his dad. He was a, base, he was a basic chippy, okay. He learned the trade of his hands but learned the scriptures at the same time. Then about the age of 30, he got baptised where they plunged him in some water and he came back up again and he started gathering disciples. People were prepared to follow Jesus. They were prepared to leave their livelihoods, leave their families and say, I want to follow this man. So he started gathering disciples and what did they see him do? They saw him heal the sick. They saw him feed thousands and thousands of people with a tiny amount of food. They saw him set people free from affliction. And the Gospel of John, just before this moment, they say that they saw Jesus Christ raise one of his good friends back from the dead. So Lazarus, who had been dead for a few days, was brought out of the tomb. So Jesus, having done all of these things, was coming into Jerusalem, coming into the holy city, the city of God. People were gathering, they were laying their cloaks on the ground, they're getting really excited about it, and they're crying out, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, it's the week before the Passover meal. It's a massive moment for the Jews. Pilgrims would have flocked and flocked to Jerusalem. There would have been hundreds and thousands of people in this city. So that's why we read in the Gospel of John, it's not just disciples, there's a great crowd. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and there could be thousands of people lifting up his name. Thousands of people saying, this is the one. Thousands of people saying, there is something special about this man. We also read elsewhere that people were waving palm branches. This wasn't just strange, some strange fetish, there was something in it, okay? So a palm branch was a national symbol of hope for the Jews. It, it was a massive thing. So waving his palm branches saying, there is someone coming right now into Jerusalem who can set us free. There is someone coming right now who can liberate us from the oppressive Roman rule, who can get rid of what we don't like and bring in something that we do like. We also read elsewhere that they're crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna means there is someone who comes to save us. Someone who has saved us. Okay? So Jesus is coming in. Cloaks are being laid on the floor. They're crying. There's someone coming to save us. We're waving palm branches saying there's a liberator coming. They're pretty excited about this. They're really, really excited about this. It's a massive moment. must have felt amazing. For Jesus, it must have felt absolutely quality. It's the pinnacle of his ministry so far. Okay, yeah, he's, he's raised someone from the dead, and yeah, he's fed thousands. But this is the first time in Scripture we see hundreds, maybe thousands of people lifting up his name. This is the first time we see so many people on earth saying there's someone coming. They seem to understand who Jesus is. Jesus must have been loving it. Why? Because they must have understood, surely. They understood who he was. They understood there's someone special about this man. This is the Son of God. The Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has come to save us. Jesus must have been lapping it up. The thing I love about, well, when I read scripture, often when you read a story, you try and work out, what did these people think at the time? And you have to guess sometimes, read a story, and think, I can imagine at this point, this person felt like this. So when Peter walked on water, how did he feel? It doesn't tell us how he felt, but it must have felt pretty cool. yeah. But in this passage, in the, this passage in Luke, straight after what I've read, we find out how Jesus felt. Okay, Because as he was coming into Jerusalem, as cloaks were being laid on the floor, as people were crying out Hosanna, as they were singing his praises, as he was coming in and people were waving palm branches, he looks upon Jerusalem and he weeps. And they weren't tears of joy, they were tears of sorrow. Why? Why would he weep? Why would he weep at such an amazing moment of his ministry? Surely the people have understood. They know who he is. They're waving palm branches for goodness sake. They're they're crying Hosanna, but he weeps over Jerusalem. Why? He weeps because Jesus looks at the heart. He looks at what's going on underneath the surface. He looks at what's going on outside of the outward appearance of life. He's the only one who can do that. Jesus laments over the fact that people have seen great signs. They had seen the amazing things that he had done, but they still didn't understand. They still didn't have faith. In the, in the, in the book of Luke, uh, later on, it said Luke says that they did not know the time of their visitation. In other words, they didn't get it. They didn't truly understand who Jesus was. They thought, yeah, someone's coming who's going to do some amazing things, but not the things that we necessarily think he's going to do. Yeah? Jesus might be coming to set them free, but in a very different way to how they thought. So they didn't get it. They didn't understand who Jesus was. They might have been crying out Hosanna. They might have been waving palm branches. But they did not truly understand who Jesus Christ was. That's why one week they're crying Hosanna. The next week they're crying crucify him. Some of these people would have been the same. Jesus Christ was left totally alone. He didn't have hundreds of people around him then. He was on his own on the cross. Why? Because people did not understand who Jesus was. And friends, I believe that you and I... Fall into exactly the same problem. That we don't get it. We don't understand who Jesus is. We don't don't let one moment of our life be consistent all the way through. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. In the time we've got left, I want to unpack what I believe it all comes down to, and that's faith. It's Bible believing, God centered, Jesus loving faith. I don't have loads of points for us today. If you're making notes, it's not loads of 0.1, 0.2, 0.3. I haven't got special points to make up sort of a a word. Sometimes people like to do that. I haven't got any of that. I'm just going to talk about faith. I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ. And and this faith is not going to be, I think there's two aspects of faith. First of all, you can think God's going to do amazing things. That's a fantastic aspect of faith. We've looked at that today. God's going to do great things, things greater than we can think or imagine. But there's a second aspect of faith, which is how we live it out. Yes, we believe God is going to do these things, but how do we live it out 24-7, moment by moment, day by day? And that's the aspect of faith I want to look at today. See, faith is difficult. I could be at church on a Sunday, hands in the air, praising Jesus Christ, singing the songs, contributing on a mic. I could be praying out loud. I could offer to pray for someone. I could prophesy when I could go to work on a Monday morning. I could ask someone how their weekend's been, they can say, not been great, got a bad knee. And something inside of me should say, well, I should pray for them, but I bottle it. And I decide not to. Well, where's my faith? Why one day can I say, Jesus, you are everything to me, I love you, I'll give my life to you, and the next day, in the nitty gritty, I'm too scared to pray for someone. How about another example? How about I'm talking to a good Christian friend and I'm confessing sin? I'm confessing the same sin I've confessed over and over again. And we pray about it. And we talk about it. But he says to me, do you know what? We've been there before, haven't we? We've talked about this before. This has happened before. Why are we in the same place? Why is this going round and round and round? And what it comes down to is the fact that do I truly believe that Christ is victorious over my sin? Do I truly believe that I can live a life where I can be a conqueror over sin because Jesus has risen from the dead? Where's my faith? How about I'm pushing into God's promises? How about I'm pushing door after door after door? I'm saying, God's got a plan for me. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to run at it. But it's taken a long time to get there. And it's getting painful. And in the end, I just ease back and think, do you know what? I can't do this anymore. Where's my faith? Don't I believe in the scriptures where God said he will make my path straight, that he will? When God said he will head me in behind and before, that he will do? Or how about I want my friends to be safe? and I tell them about Jesus over and over and over again and I display Christ in the way I live in the words I say and I pray for them diligently and they do not get saved and they do not accept Jesus and I step back and think well maybe they're not going to get saved where's my faith? Where's my faith in the fact that God said he will save and that he will use me for his kingdom to come on this earth? Every time I choose not to display my faith. I'm choosing not to follow Jesus in that situation. And I need more faith. I've been massively challenged while I've been preparing this message. Massively challenged. Because I'm realising I need more and more faith in Jesus Christ. In how to live my life. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's being sure is being absolutely, completely, 100% convinced in who Jesus Christ is. I'm training to be a secondary school RE teacher at the moment, and uh, I was observing a lesson a few weeks back, and uh, this teacher was teaching 15-year-old boys Buddhist meditation, and uh, there was one boy in the class who said, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to get involved. The teacher said, why? And he said, because I'm a Christian, and I don't want to meditate. I'm sitting at the back thing. go you, Fantastic. So then the teacher spends the next two minutes trying to persuade him to meditate. Actually, you know, Jesus in the scripture would have gone off and read scriptures. He would have meditated. It will help you control your breathing. It will help you find your inner self. It will help you be able to perform better in class, to be able to get on better with your classmates. And this boy sat there for a couple of minutes and when the teacher stopped, he said, I don't care, I'm not doing it because I don't think it's right. So what happened is the teacher did meditation with the whole class and the boy sat there and didn't join in. I sat at the back, I didn't join in, and I rejoiced over that teenage boy in that classroom. Why? Because he had faith. For him, it wasn't just about a Sunday morning, it wasn't just about hands in the air, I'm going to praise God, it was about when I'm at school, in front of my peers, I'm going to show people what I believe and I don't care what it makes me look like because I truly believe it. I was at um, a Bible, Bible week a couple of years ago and uh, I was getting to know some teenage guys and there's one guy I got on really well with him, he was about 14 and um, he was addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, he didn't love Jesus and he was really hurt and we just used to play football to be honest and uh, on the very last night I sat down under a tree and I thought this is my last time, my last chance to talk to you about Jesus because I might never see you again. So I talked to him about Jesus. And about how amazing Jesus Christ is. And you could see something change in his face. Just so his, his eyes just started to lighten up. He just thought, wow, there's something happening here. And he smiled and he said, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. So I smiled and said, but do you really? You see, when someone says they want to follow Jesus, do they really want to follow him? Do they want to they lay their lives down for him? Because during that week, this boy had said, you know what? My, my king, the thing that rules over me is drugs and alcohol. So was he prepared to say, actually, Jesus is the one that rules over me? So I challenged him with this. And he said to me, I can't stop taking drugs. I said, okay. And he said, but God can. God can stop me taking drugs. So that night, there was rejoicing in heaven as this teenage boy gave his life to Jesus Christ. I've never seen him again since, but I'm delighted, absolutely delighted that I'll see him in heaven. He had faith. He had faith. He got something. He got something. Do you know what? God is bigger than me. God can do things that I cannot do, and I can trust in him. It's all about God. It's about Jesus. It's about what he has done for us. Faith is running with who God is. It affects our actions, our words, our dreams, our desires, our lives. It's believing in Christ truly and to the utmost. It's acknowledging that actually Jesus is going to put the whole world right, he's going to restore everything. Okay, It's not just for your own personal peace and your own personal forgiveness. It's for the peace and justice to spread across the whole earth. That's what Jesus is about. We need to hold on to what scripture says. We need to hold on to the word of God. Because there are so many promises within here. When it says that through believing in Jesus' death and resurrection, we can be cleansed of all our sin, it means all of our sin. Every single part of it. When it says that because of Jesus God looks at us with delight, it means that he actually does delight in us. When it says that God will use us to spread his word and glorify him, it actually means he will do it. And when it says that God will protect us, he will. And when it says that Jesus Christ will come back for his church, his glorious bride, it means that he will. This is what scripture says and we need to believe it, we need to hold on to it, we need to let it saturate our very being so it affects everything we do 24-7, moment by moment, day by day and therefore others will see Christ through us. When I read in the Bible that I'm a child of God, adopted, an heir, redeemed, forgiven, justified, set free, that is exactly what I am. There's no argument, that's it. And I need to keep telling myself this over and over again. Believe me, guys, I'm preaching to myself tonight, this afternoon, okay? In every single way. Because I need to hold on to who Jesus Christ is. I need to let it actually be consistent throughout my whole life. The simplest example I've got in my own life was when I was about 13. And I was walking down the road of where I used to live. And it was just a typical suburban place. And I was walking with my my cell leader my Bible study group leader and she was 18 and we're walking down the road and I said, how are you? And she said, I don't feel very well. I did the classic, oh that's a shame. And she just stopped. And so I stopped and she said, oh will you pray for me? And I was so shocked. So shocked. I remember praying for her but while I was praying I was thinking, it's on a Wednesday night, not a Sunday. This is weird. We're, we're, We're standing on a pavement, not in a church building. This is weird. People can walk past This is really weird. Everything about it was weird. But you know, it was such a profound moment. This happened probably 10 years ago. And I still remember it. She had faith. She she believed that Jesus heals. She believed that God was actually the one in control. And you know, what? if I don't feel very well, I'm going to ask God to get involved. And that taught me something. And it has shaped the person that I am. When I'm singing songs at church, when I'm declaring, Jesus, you are the name above all names. But then in the week, I'm not living like it. I'm actually believing what I'm, what I'm singing. Often I stand here at church and when we're singing, I just like to stand there and read the words. Why? Because they're powerful. Really powerful. So many of the songs aren't just songs of praise. They're almost promises. I'm on a journey now. Don't try and stop me now. Because I won't stop for anyone but you, Lord. Okay? Okay? We're singing those songs. We're saying, God, I'm not going to stop for anyone unless you tell me to stop. We're promising God something. How many times have I promised God something but the very next day not done it? Countless. And yes, God, by his mercy and by his grace, forgives me every single time. But I need to stop. And I need to live for Christ 24-7. I resolve today that for the rest of my life, I want to continue to hold on to my faith in Jesus Christ. This faith will involve me acting on my beliefs and others acting on my beliefs, but when other people are not looking, when life is hard and when the pressure is on, it involves me going against the grain of society in trusting in the one who has given me such a beautiful and wonderful salvation. You see, faith is something that you don't have to carry; it's something that carries you. Okay, it's not a burden. It's not, I've got this faith, oh, this is so difficult, this is so hard. Actually, when you've got a lack of faith, that's what's difficult and hard. Faith carries you from one place to another. You look back and you think, wow, how have I got here? How has God got me here? How has, how has Revelation Church got here after four years? How are we setting up all these gospel community groups? How have we got so many people that love Jesus who want to stand up on a Wednesday night and say, follow me in this, in this idea and this vision that God has given me? How have we got all that? Because of God because God has carried us through, through our faith, and we need more of that. There was a man who made a disastrous first attempt in the world of business. He switched to politics within only one year. That didn't work either. He tried his hand for a second time at business, but failed again. That meant three failures in three years. He proposed to his fiance after four years of courtship, but she turned him down. Another woman he was courting died some time later. All these pressures led to a nervous breakdown, which required two years of convalescence. After which, he relaunched his aborted political career with a bid to be elected as the Speaker of the House of Representatives. He failed. He was again defeated two years later for the position of elector. Another three years after this, he was defeated as he ran for a seat in Congress. Another five years passed before he sought office again, but was defeated. Tragically, his four-year-old son died during this time. That led to seven years in the wilderness before running for the Senate, to no avail. Things looked more positive the next year, when he was nominated by his party as their vice-presidential candidate, but his running mate and himself were defeated in the general election. He failed two years later when trying again for a seat in the Senate. However, another two years passed. In 1860, after 24 years of dogged perseverance, Abraham Lincoln was elected as the 16th President of the United States of America. I love stories like that. I love men of faith. I love people that are out to get something no matter what. You know, he went for 24 years, I would have given up. I would have given up, 24 years, but he believes, he believes, you know what, I'm going for something and I'm gonna go for it no matter what. And when people put me down, when people don't vote me in, therefore not being that popular, I'm still gonna go back for it and go again. Now I'm not saying we need to be like Abraham Lincoln, and have faith in our own abilities, and have faith that we can do it, I'm not about that. I'm not here to preach, preach self, um, self-help or faith in our own abilities. I'm here to preach faith in Jesus Christ. We can be like Abraham Lincoln, but in Christ. We can know the promises of God and let it infiltrate every single moment of our lives so we can run for him. The Bible does not say that we'll all become a prime minister or a president, but it does say so much more. It says our faith can move mountains. That is far more exciting. It means we can do amazing things for God. We looked at that verse. God can do greater things than we think or imagine. He certainly can. How? By our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's how he can. So let's worship Jesus with all we have. Let's give him every single part of our lives. If we don't, then do we truly have faith at all? If I believe that Jesus heals, but I'm scared to pray for someone, I don't really believe it. If I believe that God's going to save someone, but I'm scared to tell them about Jesus, then I don't really believe it. We need to hold on to who Jesus is. We need more faith. If we're convinced in Christ, then surely the way we live will display the fact that we are convinced in him. Jesus wept when he went to Jerusalem because what he saw and what he experienced did not equate to true biblical worship. It wasn't how it should be, it wasn't right. It did not involve the total adoration of the people. It did not involve the people giving up every single moment of their lives for him. It did not involve people saying, I'm going to go the whole hog for you. I'm going to go wherever you take me. It didn't involve that. It involved the people saying, I'm going to praise you, but when it gets a bit difficult, I'm not. That isn't the life we are called to live. We need more of God. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask God to, to be in our lives and say, God, help me. Help me have faith in Christ. Help me live for him every moment of every day. When I think about faith and when I've been meditating on it this week, first place I turn to is Scripture. Very good place. That's tip number one. And when you look at Scripture, one of, the, one of my heroes is Job. I love Job. I love Job because he is a man of faith. And what I love is right at the very beginning of Job, God's just having this conversation with the devil, as you do. And he's just saying to the devil, Have you met, have you seen my faithful servant Job? God is just bigging up Job. He is amazing. He loves him. He delights in him. Job is just absolutely fantastic. What happens to Job is that in a nutshell, he loses everything. He loses his livestock. He loses his servants. He loses his sons and his daughters. And he doesn't lose it over a period of years. He loses it all in one go. He finds out right, at, right all in the same time he's lost the whole thing. What does he do? He tears his clothes, shaves his head, falls to the ground and worships. That's what he does. He got it. He got God he had faith I don't know what's going on in my life I don't understand it I don't know why this has happened but what do I know God is good And what do I know God is in control and what do I know I'm gonna worship him that's why Joe's one of my heroes or I could read Hebrews 11 the classic chapter of faith Abraham who left his land because of because of faith in God's promise Sarah who believed she would conceive against the odds Moses who left the luxury of a palace lifestyle said he could join the slaves. Men and women who lived lives to display who God was. Men and women who understood that actually my life is momentary. My life isn't a massive expanse. I'm going to live every single moment for the glory of God. Also think of a a simple guy in the book of Acts. We don't know much about him. Ananias. He's a man that I would hope that we would be like, that us us as a church would be like. Ananias believed in Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to him in a vision and said, you know what, can you go and pray for this guy called Saul? No big deal. Apart from Saul was the biggest Christian hater of them all. Apart from Saul, you know, murdered Christians for fun, put them in prison, wanted to destroy the early church. And this guy Ananias is being told to go and pray for him. Okay? It's like a Jew being told to go pray for Hitler. You just wouldn't do it. But he did. He went and prayed for Saul. Why? Because he had faith. Because ultimately, he knew God was in control. He knew God was good. And he knew there's no point one day proclaiming Jesus Christ, but the next day not doing what he told you to do. That's hypocritical. That's not living a life of faith. I can also look outside scripture. There's this great man I met about a year and a half ago, and I sat in his car, and he was driving along, and I was just chit-chatting, have you got any kids, I said. And he said, yes, I had four, I've now got two. And I said, okay, sorry to hear about that. And he went on, he said, yeah, two of my teenage daughters, beautiful teenage daughters, um, they're dead. And um, they died in a car crash. And you could tell that there was some severe pain, some v- severe desperation. He's written a book on it. And he te- he, in, in this book, he writes about the difficulty of it and how painful it was and how difficult it was for the family. But what came through was his love for Jesus. In that car, he spoke about Jesus. You could see the sparkle in his eye. You could see the fact that he was living for God. Why? Because he had faith. Because you know what? Lost stuff got thrown at him in his life, but he was prepared to live for God no matter what. We may not all be asked to go to another country or to become a slave, and by the grace of God, we will not all lose children. But we will all have to decide on how to live our lives. On a day-to-day basis, we have to choose whether to worry Choose whether to be anxious, choose whether to be stressed. We've got to choose whether to give away money, whether to offer offer prayer to others, whether to make ourselves vulnerable to other people. We've got to live lives of constant repentance, turning away from our lack of faith and turning towards Jesus Christ so we can look at him as the true, faithful Christian that we should be like. We've got to pray. We've got to ask the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to help us, to conform us into the likeness of Christ. Say, God, you know what? I don't know how to do this. And I don't know how to live this life. And life is tough and life is difficult. And I need you to help me. We've got to do all of these things. But what I want to focus on for a little bit is actually we have a decision to make. We have a choice. So often in preaches and so often in books, it's all about God. And don't get me wrong, you know, I love God's. It is all about God. Jesus Christ is the foundation beneath my feet. He's the one I want to live for. He's the one every fibre of my being wants to to just glorify. He's the one that I'm, I'm nourished by him because I'm attached to the vine, which I can see through scripture. But at the same time, even though it's all about God, we have a choice. We have free will. There's something in us as believers that we have a responsibility in the way we live our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So for Paul, it's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Jesus is the most important person, loving to bits. But it said, I decided to know nothing amongst you. Paul made a decision. Where he was at that moment in time, he decided in his heart, this is the way I'm going to live my life this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a decision to live this way. Yes, he needed Christ. Yes, he needed the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, he made a decision to follow God in this way. And we see that throughout scripture. In Colossians, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Decision. Do I walk one way or do I walk another? When someone wants to be prayed for, do I pray for them, walking in the Lord? Or do I say, you know what, I'm a bit scared, so do I not? There's a decision to make. How about set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth? A decision. What am I going to set my mind on? Do I think lustfully of this or do I think wonderfully of God? There's a decision to make. And we have to make that decision. Do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do I turn to alcohol for momentary pleasure and joy? Or do I turn to the Holy Spirit who gives me the total satisfaction that only God can give? It's a decision to make. It's a choice. When I walk out of this building today, when I walk away from the close proximity of believers, from songs of adoration to Jesus Christ, what am I going to choose to do? How am I going to choose to live my life? And that's my responsibility. And before God, it's going to be my responsibility To say, actually, I chose to live for you. You see, I love this world. I love people. I love chatting. I love laughing. I love listening to music and I love playing sport. But even though I'm grateful to God for the life I live, I want to be different. I want to display Christ at work. I want to display Christ in my relationships, in every situation that's thrown upon me. And I know that as a church, if we decide to be like this, if we encourage one another, build each other up, sharpen one another to live lives of faith, then God is going to do amazing things. Really amazing things. I love the fact that with these gospel community groups coming in, actually it's like Sunday services, it's just going to be this big celebration. Big celebration. Because you know what? During the week, we're going to be doing lives together through these communities. That's what it's about. Okay? Okay? These people praising Jesus as he came into Jerusalem, there's nothing wrong with praising Jesus. We do it all the time. It's fantastic. It's what they did at other stages in their life as well. That's why Jesus wept over their lack of faith. Let's display faith throughout the week, not just on a Sunday. That's the most important thing. Living a faith filled life looks different for every person. It may mean pursuing a career that God has put on your heart, even if it takes a lifetime knowing that he will get you to where he wants you to be. It may be using your prophetic or healing gift, even when some people are not healed, and pushing through so that God is glorified in your heart and in other people's. It may mean putting yourself forward to lead a gospel community group, even when actually leadership does scare you. Or it may mean getting alongside another believer, confessing your sin and dealing with the pride in your heart so that you can move on to the promises that God has for you. There's different applications for every single one of us and actually in every season of our life we're going to experience different ways of living by faith. But the bottom line is we need to resolve in our minds. Not only am I going to be a Christian that says, Jesus, you are the name above all names on a Sunday, but I'm going to be a Christian that lives it out every moment of every day to the glory of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you wouldn't call him your saviour and uh, you haven't given your life to him, I truly believe you're here for a purpose. I really do. And I believe that what you've heard today and through the worship that you've seen, that actually you've seen something different in life. You, You can taste something slightly different from what life has to give. And I want you to ask the question yourself, actually, who do I think Jesus is? And if your answer to that is anything along the lines of, well, actually, yeah, do you know what? I do think he's the son of God. And I do think, actually, he died for my sin. And I do realise that I'm a sinner and I've done things wrong. And actually, I do want to know him. And I do want a saviour. If your answer is anything like that, I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus Christ. Now, you can do that at any moment, in any day. But... In a few minutes' time, while we're praising, people are going to come forward and take the bread and the wine. We take this every week because the Bible tells us to. The bread symbolises Jesus' body and the wine symbolises Jesus' blood. We drink it and we eat it to say, thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for me so that when you rose again, I could have a relationship with God because you have taken my sin away. It's amazing. So if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, during the praise, come forward, take the bread, take the wine, and thank Jesus, and say, you know what, I want to follow you. It doesn't need a massive paragraph, it doesn't, you don't need to say all these special words, you just need to, in your heart of hearts, know that actually, I want Jesus to be the one I want to live for, I don't want to live for myself any longer. So I want to encourage you to do that. But I want to end by rallying the church You see, this passage that we briefly looked at, and I mean really briefly looked at, when I read this for the first time, well, not the first time, hopefully, but when I read this last week, um, I read it and I thought, there's so much here. There's so much. I could talk about prophecy. I could talk about Jesus fulfilling prophecy. I could talk about creation crying out. I could talk about the response of the Pharisees. I could talk about the way that Jesus responds to the Pharisees. But I decided that God wanted to speak on faith. And this passage is called the triumphal entry. And we want Jesus to enter every nation, every part of society, every people group, and every heart. That's what we're about. That's what Jesus is about, and that's what us as a church is about. And wonderfully, God has chosen this to happen through you and through me, through the church. Every single one of us, as part of Revelation, has been chosen by God to make Jesus enter in a triumphal way into your workplace into your schools into your neighbourhoods your communities every single one of us has a part to play and yes we need to celebrate outwardly we need to shout sing clap and we do that and it's great and i love it i'm not speaking against that in any way at all but we need to do more we need to display christ every moment of every day I want to really, to end on this, I know I keep using the word hero, but this guy is amazing. Um, John Wesley. John Wesley said, when I gave my all to God, I did not withhold my reputation. I set myself on fire and people came to see me burn. That's what I want to do. I want to set myself on fire and I want people to see me burn for Christ. And I don't just want to do it here, on a Sunday, among believers I want to do it every moment of every day. I want to do it at school in front of these teenage kids that don't know Jesus. I want to do it in the staff room amongst cynical teachers. I want to do it with my next door neighbours. I want to do it amongst other believers that I see throughout the week. I want to display Christ. I want to burn for him. And I want people to notice it. We're told to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We, We are made for this purpose and we need to live it out. So let's do it. It's a challenge. I'm massively challenged. <laughs> Let, let's live for Christ. In, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus marvels at the fullness of faith in a Roman centurion. I don't want Jesus to weep over my lack of faith. I want Jesus to marvel at the fullness of it. I want to die one day. Well, obviously, I'm going to die. But I want to stand before God and for God to say, you know what? I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. Because you lived for me. And that doesn't make him love me anymore. This isn't, oh, if you go and do this, if you go and live by faith, if you pray for someone tomorrow morning, God's going to be like, oh, I love him more. That's that's nonsense. He doesn't love you more. He'll never love you more. He'll never love you less. He just loves you for who you are. That's his grace. But what's important is the fact that because he's loved us, we're so delighted in him and we're so sure of who he is and we're so certain of what he has got to do on this earth that we want to live for it. And that's what I'm here to do. All of the little stories and the illustrations that I've given in this message inspire me. Abraham Lincoln inspires me. These people in scripture inspire me. That boy who didn't want to meditate inspired me. But at the same time, I get a bit sad when I read of them, when I think of them. Because they're few and far between. It's like we live natural lives and then there's these moments where we're like, that's amazing, that's amazing, and that bit was incredible. But our lives should be living in the supernatural. We don't live natural lives with glimpses of the supernatural. We live supernatural lives with terrible moments of the natural put in. And that's what I want. I want to live for Christ. I want to show the world who Jesus is. And yeah, I need God. I need the Holy Spirit to help me. And I need to resolve, actually, I'm going to do it. Because I'm able to in Christ. I'm going to pray. And uh, then we're going to sing songs to Jesus Christ. Um... So, yeah, once I finish praying, please feel free to come forward and fill up this wonderful area we have in front of us. Yeah, if the band want to come down, that'd be great. Yeah, Lord God, I thank you so much for, for who you are. Lord, I thank you for... Lord, I just thank you for our salvation. I thank you, Lord, for the certainty we have in you. I thank you, Lord, that when you did promise that you would set us free, you have done. I thank you, Lord, that when you say you're going to do something, that you do. Lord, and I thank you you are so different from what we ex- we've experienced in this earth. And I pray, Lord, will you fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray will you let us delight in you. I pray will you show us a fresh glimpse of who you are, Lord, so that we can run a life so, which is so devoted to you. Lord God, I pray give us faith. Lord God, and I pray you help us resolve to follow you. Lord, I pray you help us as a church to live for you to sharpen one another, to encourage one another. Lord, I pray you set us apart in this nation as a people group who are going to give their all for you no matter what. And Lord, I pray that you help us burn for you. Set us on fire for you so that people see, so that believers see and non-believers see, not for our glory but for yours. We declare it is all about you. It's all about who you are. It's about your fame. It's about you being exalted to the highest place possible. And we are so delighted, and it's such a privilege to be part of that. I pray that you help us be part of it as much as we possibly can. we love you, we delight in you, and we thank you for who you are. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to stand, guys, um, we're going to praise Jesus Christ. Please feel free to come and take the bread and wine uh, when you feel necessary.